again, just pause for a moment of prayer because I just want our hearts to be ready. Holy Spirit, teach us today. Lead us into truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's um, uh, a story of a gentleman named Smith Wigglesworth. If you haven't heard of Smith Wigglesworth, he was a, a powerful minister and uh, had kind of an unorthodox ministry style, if you know anything about him. Uh, but he really did incredible things for the kingdom of God and, and for healings and power and miracles and the gospel. And thousands upon thousands of people came to know Christ through his ministry. And guess what? He, he actually was not trained as a minister at all. He was trained as a plumber. He was a professional plumber who fell in love with Jesus, got motivated about God, did wonderful things for God. So uh, you can take out of your mind that I have to be, uh, there's nothing wrong with training, obviously, but you, God can use us if we'll go after him. And by the way, when you go after God, whether you learned in a, a classroom setting or not, you will learn. You will be taught by the Lord, and by your study, and by all those things that God calls us to do. Well, there's a story about Smith Wigglesworth, and uh, as far as I know, it's a true story, and no, have no reason not to believe it, and it kind of sounds like him anyway. Smith Wigglesworth was uh, having a night, he said, where he was having terrifying dreams, and he woke up, and when he woke up, he just really sensed a presence of the demonic, of evil, in his room. And so he looked around, and at the foot of the bed, he said he saw Satan himself. And he looked at Satan, and he just sighed and said, Oh, it's just you. And rolled back over and went to sleep. That sounds like from what I've read about Smith Wigglesworth, what he would do. There, there is a demonic world. And we've talked about all the advantages we have as believers. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Word of God. The power of faith. The power of prayer. All those things to take our lives and move it forward in the things of God. And so I hope you're doing that this year and decide to prioritize the things of God. But I also want to tell you that we have an enemy. The Bible says we have an enemy of our soul. And we want to be aware of that as we make plans for the new year to grow in Christ. We've got to make plans on how to thwart the, the enemy. And Peter says, one of Jesus' right-hand people, Peter said, stay alert. You see the exclamation point there? Stay alert. Watch out. And it makes it very personal. Very personal. You'll be so happy to know this. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, my goal is always that we're too tough for him to devour. And we can be and should be in the things of God. And so Peter's warning us, you have an enemy. Now, the problem with Christians in the United States and most of the Western world is we have caricaturized the devil and hell. In other words, we've made a, a cartoon character out of them, and we haven't taken seriously. I truly believe that's a tremendous plan from the devil himself. Because if you just look at the devil as a cartoon character, if you just think of him as a joke, then he can infiltrate and mess with your life and mess with the world around you freely because you don't take him seriously. And Jesus took him seriously. And when you read the scripture, you'll see that he was at work in the world. And so we've, we've, we've looked at him as just a cartoon figure. Now, what I'm getting ready to show you is funny. So you don't have to feel guilty that it made you chuckle. It is funny. Um, here it is. It's a, a cartoon of, of Satan and, and one of the 
inhabitants of hell. And for those who are just listening with audio, it says, this is Satan speaking to the guy in hell. He's getting ready to take a journey through hell. And he said, oh, we got rid of the hot coals years ago and switched them over to Lego pieces. Now, if you've never stepped on a Lego piece in the middle of the night, then you don't know about that. But if you've ever been a parent and kids had Legos, you got in the middle of the night and wondered and stepped on something, uh, yeah, it kind of feels like you might be there. So we've, we've, we've just made the devil, hell, all that just a joke. And there, that is funny. But we also have to take seriously what the scripture tells us to take seriously. And so somewhere between this unreasonable fear, this unreasonable fear of the devil, and by the way, that's, that's the Hollywood version. Hollywood will portray the devil as super amazingly powerful and you probably can't overcome him. And him and God are just, you know, nip and tuck wrestling with one another and neither one can hardly win. That's not what the scripture tells and we'll see that here in a moment. But somewhere between this unreasonable fear of Satan and this comical dismissal of Satan is the middle ground that we believers need to walk in, which is probably closer to Smith Wigglesworth's reply, oh, it's just you, and roll over and go back to sleep because of the power that we have in Christ. So I want to talk today about satanic hindrances. You have some goals for your life. You have decided you're going to go forward with God. You're you're going to grow spiritually, and you have an enemy. He is an enemy to everything that pertains to you growing spiritually, to you growing up in God, to you maturing, to you being everything God's called you to be. And so we need to be very aware of this. And so he has all these strategies. And, and the scripture tells us not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, lest he gain an advantage over us. So we're going to learn some of his devices. The strategies of Satan, the, the, the first one is lies. He lies all the time. There used to be a joke, and, you know, people would pester one another and say, you know when they're lying? And the answer was when their mouth is moving. Well, that's the devil. You know when he's lying, when his mouth is moving. The Bible says he's the father of lies. Truth isn't in him. And, and one translation, I kind of like this one, it says, when he lies, he's speaking his native tongue. He is a liar and the father of lies. And that's probably one of the number one things. I want to challenge you. When something feels like it got whispered in your ear, or, or it, it could just be coming up in your mind, and it doesn't line up with the scripture, I won't guarantee you that was the devil or demonic, but I still want to tell you it's wrong, because you need to honor God's word above any feeling that you might have. So he lies. Uh, he blinds the minds of, of unbelievers. That's something we need to think about when we're praying for our lost friends and family. The Bible says, if the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is veiled or hidden, is hidden to those who are perishing. For the God of this world, Satan, has blinded their eyes and their minds so they cannot see, I love what it says, the glorious good news. The good news of God is glorious and they can't see it. So we need to add to our prayer as we pray for loss, Lord, lift that veil, take those blinders off, may they clearly see the glorious gospel. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light or as righteousness. Now, I could go on and on about this, but our culture, and the culture always has been this way, the culture is not Christ-centered. Did you know that? And so the culture comes up with all kinds of things that are anti-Christ, that are against the teachings of Jesus. But one of the things I see Satan do all the time is he actually will take the words of Jesus and Scripture and contort them to make it seem like this is okay. Oh, we can do this, we can live this way, because after all, Jesus is love. 
Jesus is love, but did you, if you study the Bible and read about him, he was never afraid to tell people the hard truth as well. And so Satan likes to use that word. And Satan will also say when you go, I just don't think that's right. I'll tell you one of the first verses he'll quote to you is, hey, we're not supposed to judge. The Bible says don't judge. You're judging. Actually, the Bible says that we're not supposed to give unrighteous judgment. But at one point, we are challenged. Paul says, can you guys not judge these simple matters? Do you not know that you will judge angels? So we are supposed to judge. Our judgment is just supposed to be righteous and true and in line with the scripture. It's not supposed to be holier than thou, self-righteous, I'm looking down on you type of judgment. Those are two different things, and we're not supposed to do the latter, but the the former we are. We are to look at things and say, that's sin. That's wrong. This is right. We're supposed to be able to judge that through the word of God. And so Satan does that. He tempts people to sin. He steals the word out of people's hearts. When he steals the word out of people's hearts, we know this from scripture, then faith can't mature. And he actually chokes out the faith. And then it's interesting that our faith, because it's so weak and the word is so diluted that it has no power in our lives. The word of God that can be spoken to create universe, the universe can't seem to do anything for us because Satan has choked that by stealing the word. Satan causes some sickness. I want to pause and make sure you know this, but I want you to hear exactly what I'm saying. He does not cause all sickness. Jesus went about healing some sicknesses that were demonic in nature and some sicknesses that were just sicknesses because of the broken world that we're in. Now, ultimately, all sickness comes back from Satan and sin in the garden. But if you remember this, Jesus is getting ready to heal a man who has been born blind. And the disciples say, because this was common Jewish thought, if you have a problem or sickness or whatever, it's because you have sinned. Now, let's just use our brain for a second. If problems and sickness was caused because we sinned, then every one of us should be sick. I don't know anyone here who say, well, I've never sinned. If you say that, there's your first one, I guess, you know, because you have. And so it, it's not sin. And so the disciples actually ask him, Jesus, who sinned? Did his parents sin or did he sin? Now listen to what Jesus said, neither of them. He said, but the glory of God's about to be revealed. And he healed him, the glory of God was revealed. Now, sin and can cause sickness, and Satan can cause sickness, but I did say can. It's not always connected to that. But I'll tell you what, it wouldn't hurt us if we are going through something and say, Lord, is there something I'm doing that's creating this environment for this mess? And he may say, yes, there is. And then that would be sin that we ought to correct in our lives. So it would help us learn how to pray of what's going on in our lives. There was a time also where Jesus came to this woman. She was a, a Jewish lady because Jesus refers to her as a daughter of Abraham. So she's a Jewish lady, and she's all bent over. Have you ever seen somebody publicly? They're bent over, and they're, they're walk, they can't get up. They can't straighten up. This lady had that problem. She could not straighten up. And the scripture says that Jesus healed her. And guess what? The religious, self-righteous got angry at him. Can you imagine that? And they said, well, there's six days to heal. And there, he, he could do that. This is Sabbath. He shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath. He should not be working on the Sabbath. One thing I want to tell you, that wouldn't even work for Jesus. Once you know that, it wasn't like he had to really work that healing. It wasn't even work for him anyway. But Jesus looked at him and said, think about what you're saying. 
you, if one of your animals, a donkey, an ox, a cow, fell in the ditch and hurt itself on the Sabbath, you would dash out there immediately, and rightfully so, and care for that animal. Should not this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound for 18 years, should she not be freed from what has bound her? And she should be. And by the way, what a ridiculous thing. If somebody came to you and said, hey, you've been sick 18 years anyway, one more day's not going to matter, or I could heal you right now, we'd all pick right now, wouldn't we? Not like, well, just wait till tomorrow. No, right now, right now. And so Jesus heals her. And Jesus says that sickness had been upon her by Satan for 18 years. And so it can happen. It says that Satan is a, a murderer. He accuses Christians before God. He's the accuser of the brethren. And so these are things that Paul is warning us about. Paul's the guy that wrote a big bunch of the New Testament. And he's saying that we need to know these things or we'll get outwitted by the devil. In fact, here's, here's what Paul says. He says, I am not ignorant of Satan's devices or schemes or plans or strategies, depend upon your translation. I'm not ignorant of those, lest he gain an advantage over me or unless he outwit me. So we need to be aware of these things. In fact, that very passage, probably what I should add to the list, is unforgiveness. That whole, where Paul's talking there is actually on the topic of unforgiveness. He said, I will not walk in unforgiveness because when I do, Satan has just outwitted me. He's used one of his plans, one of his schemes to take advantage of me. So these are strategies of Satan, and we need to be very careful. Peter said, watch out, be on guard. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, he's trying to devour you. And here's a good list. It's not a complete list, but a good list of things that we can look out for to make sure that we're not being taken advantage of by the devil and we're walking in victory in Christ. Now, you've decided, I'm believing this, you've decided I'm going to grow in Jesus this year. You've decided there's some areas of my life I'm going to improve on. Maybe it's prayer or Bible study or generosity or kindness or who knows what it is. Maybe evangelism, sharing your faith. I'm going to grow in these areas. And so you've decided I'm going to move forward. I'm going to be what God's called me to be. I'm going to put some of these things into work in my life. So you've got some goals, you've got some dreams, you've got some systems. By the way, systems do not have to be complex. The simpler, the better. They don't have to be complex, but you have a plan. But don't forget to add your plan, knowing the strategies of Satan, because he doesn't like your plan. Think about this. I'm going to really get before God in prayer this year. Do you think Satan says, that's a great idea? No, he wants to stop that. I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. I'm going, I'm going to be a generous person. I'm going to be a kinder person. I'm going, to, I'm going to spend more time in the word of God. Satan thinks all that's a horrible idea. And so we need to be aware of him. So let's look at what we're taught in scripture. Uh, it's very interesting because we're going to look at several passages that are almost all written by Paul. Uh, again, one of the biggest promoters of Christianity in the New Testament era. And Paul's writing to a church in Ephesus. And he says... For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning human beings, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of of the darkness of this age. We wrestle against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Hmm. So we're still in a battle. We're still in a fight. But what I want to encourage you from, we're going to see clearly in Scripture, is you and I go to battle from a place of victory. 
you and I go to battle from a place of being triumphant. We, we start the battle knowing we win. And so I don't want us to forget that. I'm going to show you that from Scripture. Here in Colossians, again, Paul writing to the Colossians, if we did the backstory on these verses, it would basically say this, hey, we have sinned so much. We have so much sin that we have piled up for years that we don't know how to fix. It is legally stacked up against us because they are laws of God we have broken. We have no way to fix it. All that pile of sin is condemning us, and we stand before God guilty. But then we pick up on the good news. It says, having canceled, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he, God, has taken it away. There's enough to be thankful for right there. That pile, that boatload of sin, he took it away. Nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, the very thing Ephesians says we fight against, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. In other words, Jesus publicly, openly humiliated Satan and disarmed him, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, we could pause and say, well, hip, hip, hooray for Jesus. I'm glad that he has the victory, but, you know, I feel like I'm getting beat up every day. But we're going to help work on that today. Because it's not just Jesus, but when Jesus won the victory, he brought us, the soldiers, the citizens of his kingdom, his brothers and sisters, he brought us into the victory too. And so Paul, writing to another group of Christians in Corinth, says, but thanks be to God, who always leads us captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Now, when I read that, I go, what does that mean? I don't know if you ever read something like that and say, what does that mean? Well, he, he leads us captives in Christ's triumphal procession. The King James says he always causes us to triumph in Christ. And he uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. You and I are supposed to be a sweet-smelling fragrance of Jesus to a hurting, dying, and broken world. Now, Eugene Peterson took the scriptures and made a paraphrase, not a translation, it's a paraphrase, and to clarify what that verse means, leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, he words it like this. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual, never-ending victory parade. I like that. Now I know what he's talking about. That God's brought us in, Jesus has brought us in to his victory. And he says, you're going to move from place to place in victory. You're part of the parade. And so there's a continual victory parade going on where we are a part of it. Because of the victory of Jesus, we get to enjoy and celebrate. That's what a parade is doing. It's celebrating. We're part of the celebration. And we're not just spectators, we're in the parade. I don't know if you remember or you've seen film footage of, of like World War II and the soldiers came home. Do you remember all those soldiers? They were in the parade. And there's, they used to call them ticker tape parades. And there was confetti and everything falling. We were celebrating. There was victory. And everyone in there was part of the victory parade. Every soldier. Even the spectators actually were getting to enjoy the fruits and benefits of the sacrifices of those soldiers. And the victory that was done. In Romans 8, he's speaking to another group of believers. So I want you to see what he's doing. He's preaching the same message everywhere. 
He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love the word of God because it always takes an extra step. To me, it would be fine to say we are conquerors. But it says we're more than conquerors. We, we see this over and over in the word. Now unto him who's able to do. Exceedingly, abundantly, above. All we can ask, think, or imagine. God's word always goes this extra mile to let us know the victory that we're in. And we have victory. Now, I know that Satan is a liar. So I don't want him to gain advantage over me or over you. So he may be whispering in your ear right now, these are really great verses for preachers. They really walk in this stuff. Oh, these are really great verses for for church leaders. Or these are really great verses for seasoned, you know, seasoned elders of the church. If you came in the door today, gave your heart to Jesus just not too many minutes ago, you have this victory. You have it. I want you to know that the early church was turning the world upside down, and here's what the educated said about them. We're confused. Are not these ignorant, unlearned men from Galilee? They don't have the credentials. They don't have the degrees. They don't have the learning. But they were turning the world upside down because they had Jesus and dared to believe. Just a generation, especially two generations ago, there were a lot of illiterate people. A lot of illiterate people. And the kingdom kept marching on. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Now, am I opposed to education and learning? Absolutely not. I just don't want you to think, well, if I ever get a Bible degree, then I'll really be able to do something for God. If I real, after I've served God for 10 years, I'll really be able to do something for God. If I was just younger, I'd be able to do something for God. If I was just older, I would be able to do something for God. If I was just shorter or taller or richer or poorer, I'd be able to do something for God. If you are a believer, you are able to do something for God because it is His power does it work within you? It's his power. And so I want you to know that regardless of your age, your education, whatever, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the power, the victorious power of God. You're more than a conqueror. You are all, he always causes you to triumph. He has empowered you. You're in a perpetual, never-ending victory parade. I want to tell you a story about, I was probably about 15 years old. Uh, by the way, I hadn't uh, gone to Bible school. I hadn't done anything like that. I'm 15 years old, and I got a buddy spending the night. Now, just for a little heads up, in my household, my parents, when it was time to go to sleep, thought we ought to sleep. And if you didn't sleep, then you at least are quiet enough that they can sleep because they're going to go to work tomorrow, and they wanted things quiet. So, and they weren't mean people. That's just how our household worked. And so I had a buddy over, and he spending the night, and... Uh, I mean, we hadn't even gotten tired yet, but it was getting about time to go to sleep. And, and he said, oh, man. He said, I'm going to have one of those dreams. I said, what do you mean one of those dreams? He said, he said it's hard to explain. He said, I have these dreams, and it's even hard to describe what they're like. It's like there's these bunch of sticks, and they just bounce around. They hit each other. They do all this, but it actually kind of makes me go out of my mind. It's, it's very traumatic to me. And uh, I said, well, how in the world would you know that you're going to have one of those dreams? And he said, 
I know this is going to sound crazy. But he said, I can taste it in my mouth. I said, wow. I said, brother, that's demonic. He said, I know. He said, my, my dad prayed for me several years ago, and I haven't had one forever, but I'm, I'm getting ready to have one. And I said, well, let me tell you what. We're going to take authority over that thing because you can sense when something's demonic. If, if you, and I'm 15 years old, so it's not like, oh, he's so seasoned. You know, he's just really, he's so seasoned in the things of God. But I was crazy enough to believe that the Bible was true is that we have authority over Satan. He has given us authority. There's two types of power in the Bible, and one is, one is authority power, and the other is literal strength power. God has little strength power. We have authority power to release God's literal strength power. And so I said, we're going to pray. And we prayed and took authority over that. And I'm just, I wouldn't lie about something like this because I'm serious about this. I fear God too much for that. I, I, I am scared when I hear somebody tell a story and I go, man, I hope that's true because I wouldn't want to say something that just wasn't true like that. But we prayed and the presence of God came in that room and we got hit with the joy of God. Was it something we were manufacturing? There wasn't any crowd to show off in front of or say, look at us, how spiritual we are. And by the way, I'm not saying that's what it is always when there's joy because it's not. But I'm just letting you know, there's no reason for us to fake this thing. And joy began to rise, and we began to laugh. And I remember, serious, I remember saying, we can't laugh like this, we're going to get in trouble. My parents are going to come to the steps any moment and say, quiet down up there, boys, we've got to work tomorrow. And, uh, but we couldn't contain this thing. Now we did our best to not get it too loud, but it just, I don't remember how long it lasted, but just the joy of the Lord. I don't care how young you are in the Lord, how old you are in the Lord. We have authority in Jesus. And man, and I have a handful, many experiences like that. But I want to tell you this too. Sometimes people think, oh, that Tracy lives in that all the time. No, I've got a handful of experiences like that. Most of the time I'm just like you. I'm just living every day. But you know what? I'm living every day in the victory of Jesus. Well, you had a horrible day today. That doesn't matter. I'm still victorious. I don't care. I, I'm still victorious because of Jesus. So I want to encourage you, wherever you're at in your walk with God, you have power in Jesus. Let me share with you this eye-opening verses. I really want you to think about this because it could transform your life and moving forward in the things of God. Here's Paul again writing to Rome now. He's been writing to Corinth and Colossae and Rome and everywhere. And here in Rome, he's talking about this struggle. And all of us know this, this struggle that we have as we grow in God. But be, watch, watch this. Paul's saying, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, or other translations say, when I want to do good. What's the next word? Evil. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Hmm. Now some could say that that's the evil, sinful part of our flesh. When you get born again, your spirit is born again. Your flesh, your body, and all of its cravings and desires have to be taught to submit to your spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. And it will submit. You, it, your body can be trained. It, it can be trained. And it will submit. But the moment you get saved, all the cravings of your flesh were, were still there. And they have to be brought under submission to Holy Spirit, to the Word of God, and to your born-again spirit. 
So if you were lazy uh, before you got saved, you were probably lazy afterwards. You had to say, hold it. The Holy Spirit had to say, God hasn't called you to be lazy. It, whatever your fleshly issue was, we had to grow in that and train our flesh to obey God. So here it says, although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. It could also be, and probably is, an evil spirit wanting to thwart any good thing you want to do. And I'll take that down to anything. I don't care. It doesn't even have to be super spiritual because our whole life needs to reflect the glory of God. You could say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to clean up this house. Trust me, there'll be something next week. Ah, don't worry about that. It'll all be fine. You can do that next week, next year, whenever. But when you want to do good, evil is present. Then he says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's laws, his principles, his teachings. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. So you look at this and say, well, how are we going to break this law, the law of sin? How are we going to overcome that? Well, good news, the Bible tells us how to do that. In this same book, in the next chapter, Paul teaches the Roman Christians and thus teaches us how to break this law. In Romans 8, 1, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation. You're not condemned anymore. For those who are in Christ Jesus... Now, I want you to know, in Christ Jesus is a genuine relationship with Jesus, which is much more than checking, when you look at a whole list of religions, as I often use, say you're doing a census report, and it wants to ask, know what religion you are, and you look through Hindu, Buddhist, is, Islam, Christianity, atheist, other, and you go, I guess I'm American, so I'm a Christian. Being in Christ is more than that. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and we have actually received the righteousness of God. And so it's a genuine commitment to God. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, that's a capital S meaning the Holy Spirit, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now I want you to know this. I bet the devil never told you this. He doesn't want you to be free. The Holy Spirit produces life. Sin produces death. Satan hates people. We've been formed and created in the image of God. He hates us. It's no love lost to him. I personally think that's how doggy the devil is, that he wants to attack my buddy because he's probably thinking to himself, his dad's not around. His dad prayed for him a few years ago and he was free, but now we just got a couple knuckle-headed teenagers, so I'm going to take advantage of him. But we weren't ignorant of Satan's devices, so he couldn't take an advantage of us. But the devil wasn't, he doesn't care to fight fair. And so here, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And you know, so much of that is a choice. Do you remember even Joshua in the Old Testament, he stood before the people and he said, this day I set before you a choice. I set before you life or death, blessing or cursing. And it appears to me that Joshua wasn't sure they were sharp enough to get the answer right because the next thing he says is, choose life. You think, did you really have to tell them that? Well, probably. Choose life so that you and your children might live. What a great, what a great verse. 
So I want us to loop back, because we're going we, the law of the spirit of life sets us free from the law of sin and death. And I want to loop back to where we started in Peter, but we're going to go a verse before and a verse after. We're going to learn four specific points to combat uh, satanic hindrances. 1 Peter 5, 7-9. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Let that sink in. Give all, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Then the one we read earlier, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of sufferings you are. So let's get some takeaways from this. How to actually apply this to our lives so we can stop the flow of Satan's hindrances in our lives. I want to say this before we go on because I want you to realize we are in Christ. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. We have been made new creations, new creatures. Satan has been publicly shamed and made a show of and a mockery of by the power of Jesus. And we're brought into that victory. Do you think that Jesus right now is nervous about the devil beating him up? No. Neither should us little Jesuses. The Bible calls Jesus the living stone. And he says, you too, like living stones. Now again, I'm not trying to say we're Messiahs or we're Jesus. But we are to be a representative of Jesus. The church, Christians, are the body of Christ. The fullness of Jesus who fills everything in every way. And so we can go on his victory. So the first thing we see in these verses we just read is that we need to resist worry and care because worry and care is not faith. Satan desires to get you into an anti-faith through worry and anxiety and fear because it chokes out the word of God in your life. Now I get it. I've also been struck with fear and anxiety. It feels like we've got to do something, but we also know this intellectually. There's nothing we can do. I fell dead in that office over there, and they were taking me to Indy, and they told Darlene they had to, she had to wait at Columbus until I got to St. Francis, and I'm sure that there was worry or anxiety or fear, but can we all agree with this? Her worry, anxiety, or fear couldn't help me or hurt me, could it? We, we know that, but it wants to weigh on us. So sometimes we just have to stop and say, okay, God, you know what I'm feeling? The Bible says, Jesus, you're a high priest and you understand our weaknesses and I'm asking you, help me to cast my care upon you. And God says, what I want you to do is cast your care and worry upon me because I want to care for you. You picture God just, I want to hold you here. I want to care for you. Now, it's easier said than done, but I promise you, if you apply the word of God, you can get much, much better at this. And worry and care and anxiety and fear won't rule your life and bully you around especially when 99% of what you've been fearful and scared about all your life never happened anyway. It was a total waste of your time. Now, the second thing is to stay alert and be on the lookout. Here's what we want to do. Here's our plan. We want to catch the devil in his schemes before he outsmarts us and wins. Not afterwards, before. So that's why God says, be on the lookout, watch out. Your adversary, the devil, stay, stay focused. And 
as, as I'm looking around, reminds me, uh, I like to ride a motorcycle, and I want to tell you, I am on the lookout. I see all kinds of stuff. I'm sure I miss some things, too. But Darlene, I mentioned that. We'll be driving down the road. I, say, I, I see a possum over there along the edge of the road. How in the world did you see that? Because I'm, I'm, I'm looking. Because it's a really big deal when you're on a motorcycle. If an animal or a deer or something runs out, it's no fun if you're in a car. So I'm, I'm always alert. I'm always watching. I'm always scanning. I'm always looking. I want to see. And, and I'll tell you one thing. I don't like to ride in at nighttime, and I'll tell you why. Because my headlights only go so many feet forward and only so many feet sideways. In the daytime, I can see a mile in every direction. But at night, I can't. I don't know if there's a spiritual analogy there. Stay out of the darkness, okay? Because you can't see well in the darkness. Stay, stay in the light. And actually, the Bible says everything's visible in the light. And so you can see better. So be on the lookout. Don't let the devil outsmart you. Third thing, stand firm against the devil and strong in your faith. Now, there is a, a sister verse to this in James chapter 4. James, the half-brother of Jesus, they had the same mom, but Jesus' dad was God, and James's dad was Joseph. In James 4, 7, it, it says both, it's a two-part verse, and we quote the last part a lot, but both of them, it's a one-two punch. In James 4, 7, I don't have a slide for that, but you can jot it down, it says, Submit then to God. Submit then to God. That's step one. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say he might or, or you got a 50-50 chance. He will flee from you. Submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So stand firm, be strong in your faith. Get stubborn. You all know how to be stubborn. There, some of you who aren't even real stubborn by nature, you can still be stubborn on certain things. And there, there is no... You're not going to back down. Get like that about your spiritual life. Get stubborn. The fourth thing that you might miss in these verses, but I think it's very important, is don't get tricked into a pity party. Don't get tricked into a pity party. Satan wants to use a war tactic, and that is to divide and conquer you. That's, that's a war tactic, divide and conquer. Because when you have a pity party, you're all alone. Because no one wants to attend it with you. You're by yourself. Except for the devil. He'll show up. And I'll tell you, pity parties are interesting because they work like this. Wow. Look around the room today. Everybody here, their life is so wonderful. But yours, oh. You know, look around the room today because there's no one here that struggles with anything. But you, look around the room today. You've been struggling with a physical issue. Nobody else does. You've been struggling with a financial issue. Nobody else does. You've been struggling with a relational issue. Nobody else does. You know, wonder why God doesn't love you like he loves all these other beautiful people in the room. He's a liar. The scripture says, for your brothers and sisters are struggling with the same things all over the world. Your struggle is not unique. But if there's one thing the enemy wants you to feel unique about, it's about your struggle. And about how God must not love you. But we struggle. I'm saddened when I hear people, and it does happen, I call them deconversion stories, where people say, I'm going to walk away from my faith with God. And last one I heard that really troubled me was, it was a person of some renown who said, I've seen all the suffering in the world, and I no longer can believe in God. 
And I thought, that would be fine if we had a God who promised there was no suffering. We have a, if just that one verse there says, your brothers and sisters are suffering all over the world. In this world, you will have tribulation. There, we don't have a God who promises that will be unaffected by the brokenness of this world. We just have a great destiny ahead. Now, I want to give you a, a bonus battle verse today to add on top of those four. Revelation twelve eleven, And they, the Christians, have defeated him, the devil. If we went back to verse 9, we'd know we were talking about the devil or Satan. And they have defeated Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Step number one, you can't bypass Jesus. Step number one, you must be born again. You must have a relationship with Jesus. The blood of the Lamb, it cleanses us. It crushes condemnation. It sets us free. So they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. The second thing is by their testimony. Most translations say by the word of their testimony. It means the same thing, by their testimony. Now, just so you know how that works, Satan comes and whispers in your ear and says, God doesn't love you. You can say, well, here's my testimony. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Here's my testimony. I've looked at the cross. He loves me. Here's my testimony. And you begin to say those things. Hey, you know what? You're never going to overcome these things in your life. Hold it. Here's my testimony. I'm already an overcomer. Here's my testimony. God always causes me to triumph. Here's my testimony. So your testimony, your words, need to line with Scripture. So they overcame Satan by their relationship with Jesus and by the words of their testimony. These are some ways to defeat the devil. And by not loving their own lives unto death. They were not even afraid to die. Now I'm going to tell you, this literally means physical death. That they were willing to be murdered for the cause of Christ. But I want to give us an alternative to that. Not saying that's not what the verse means, but I want to give you something that's also a challenge. We need to be willing to die to ourself. Now that fights against our flesh. It fights against the American way. I'm, I'm, I got to be my own person. But it doesn't fight against the wisdom of God. For he who seeks to save his life shall lose it, but he who loses it for my sake in the gospel shall find it. If you go after the devil in this world, he will steal, kill, and destroy from you. But if you go after me, Jesus said, I will give you life and life abundant. And so it's that paradox that we find true life when we lay ours aside for Jesus. So when we say, I'm going to be dead to myself, there's a Bible verse that says uh, that he who has suffered in his flesh has ceased from sin. And Paul said this, again, the guy who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, he, he wrote these words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you should consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. And then at one point he writes this, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But the life I do live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Do you know when we water baptize people, which we'll be doing in a couple weeks, we say these words over them, and it's not something made up by preachers for water baptism. It's right out of the scripture. You'll notice that when I dunk them under, I say, buried with him in baptism and raised to newness of life. We are to be considered dead. And the Bible says, when we're dead, sin no longer has mastery over us. It no longer controls us because we are dead. 
So I want to encourage you to put these things into practice this week. I know you hear me beat this drum every week, and I will continue to beat this drum. To simply learn something and not do it will not cause transformation. Learning is an essential step, but we get information. I hope the information gives us inspiration and motivation, but if it falls short of application, you'll find no transformation. So we have to apply the Word of God. So we start practicing these things. And if you say, well, I forgot what it was talked about, you can go on the website. It'll be on there probably within 24 hours or 36 hours, and you could, I know you say, listen to it again. Well, you can fast forward to different spots if you want to. It's on Facebook. There's all kinds of places you can learn and you can grow. And you can keep practicing these, these tips on how to resist Satan and his hindrances. Because you and I have got a plan. We're going to grow this year. We're going to seek first the kingdom of God. We're going we're to put into practice the things of God. And Satan doesn't like it, but we just need to say this. We need to say, and this isn't arrogance. This isn't, we think we're all that. This is just lining up with God's word. Satan says, I don't want you to grow. We just need to say, I don't care what you want. We need, really need to literally let Satan know this. Hey, I cannot express to you how little your opinion matters to me. I cannot express to you how unconcerned I am about what you think when it comes to my desire to grow. The only thing I'm concerned about is to know your strategies and your tactics so you can't outwit me and I can keep growing in God. Let's pray together.